Hello, beautiful people. Before we get started, I need to thank some new Patreon patrons. Thank you, Joe Nowak, who once played a Protean in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Don't ask me how I know that. Want to get thanks on this podcast? Just bring your bride to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. There are a few tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Our pilot episode on Moulin Rouge is available now on this feed so you can sample before you buy. New patron-only episodes will be released on the 27th of each month. April's movie is the Barbra Streisand classic Yentl with Roddy Flynn and Carrie Ginsburg. We dreamcast Gypsy during it. It makes less sense in context. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. My play Tinkerbell is open and running at first stage in Milwaukee. My adaptation of Peter Pan from Tinkerbell's point of view now plays through June 2nd. Tickets and performance information are available at firststage.org. Tinkerbell, now through June 2nd at First Stage, Milwaukee. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Promote You, the marketing and productivity conference for theater makers. In a digital age where people are being cast based on their social media following and shows are transferring to Broadway after trending and building their audience online, it's time you learn from leading experts how to effectively promote yourself and your show. At Promote You, you'll get practical, hands-on advice from leading experts on a range of topics, including creating your branding toolkit, how to use social media to gain loyal fans, creating a website that sells and tells your story, and so much more. Fans of the original cast can use the code ORIGINAL19, all one word, to get your ticket at a $300 discount. For more information, visit theproducersperspective.com slash promote dash you dash conference. Promote you, May 17th, at Signature Theater's Alice Griffin Jewel Box Theater. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. With you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a composer, lyricist, and is the first guest we've had who we've also done a show of his first it's doug cohen everybody hi patrick how you doing doing well thanks oh, it's so 10 a.m it's t- <laughs> <laughs> i'm speaking and it's 10 a.m <laughs> don't part the kimono too much doug we gotta, we gotta maintain some magic here here in beautiful on 7th avenue bring into in, in the middle of manhattan and uh, you're here to talk about sondheim a musical tribute okay now everybody Not to be confused with many other Sondheim tributes. Yes. This is the first, I'm pretty sure. It was. Yeah, 1973. And I think it was the first um, tribute benefit that was recorded Mm -hmm. on records. Because this was a common thing my, my, I read that, that they would be these on kind of a regular basis there would be these benefits for various right. charitable organizations exactly and they would have a guest of honor and a performance and it would be Broadway luminaries on a dark on a stage that was dark because it's usually on a Monday stage that was dark for the day exactly. um, and this was actually my research indicated supposed to be a Hal Prince benefit yes and he, and he declined <laughs> <laughs> so they went to Sondheim <laughs> 
Well, I guess couldn't I decline. wonder if Stephen Sondheim knew that Hal Prince had declined. <laughs> you would kind of think he'd have to, right? Yeah, yeah. Because this was done on the set of uh, Night Music. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, they were obviously they were working in touch. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know if Sondheim was too busy working on The Frogs, which was his next show. Oh, that was show, okay. But, you know, he was doing, he was doing things. Um, so how did Sondheim, a musical tribute, come into your life? Well... I'll, I'll give you the context. It's a slight detour, but um, basically, when I was growing up, and I was, I don't want to say exactly how old I was, but I was a kid. Sure. Um, there was someone who was a little older whose uh, parents were friendly with my parents. Um, he, we were on Cape Cod. Uh, we didn't live on Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. We lived in Illinois, but we came east every summer so that we could be near my paternal grandparents and my maternal grandmother. This, um, this guy named Jeff Zimmerman was, you know, a total musical theater geek. And uh, he has since changed his name to Holland McFallister. <laughs> and he's in L.A. and he works as an actor and he's been on, like, the Miley Cyrus, Hannah yeah. Montana and all those things. Wow. But I'll refer to him as Jeff because I sure. didn't know him as Holland. Sure. <laughs> um, so he, would, he was much more sophisticated. He had... Uh, he got his driver's license way before I did. He did not have overprotective parents, so he could like zip into the city <laughs> and see anything he wanted, and he would come back with the cast albums and mm. stories about what he had experienced. And so uh, one summer, I remember having like a play date, and uh, he brought over these albums, and one of them was the Sondheim Tribute. And it was, uh, at the same time, he also brought me um, a little night music, mm. which, oddly enough, I didn't care for when I first heard it. Hmm. And it was only later when I saw the show that I got it. I mm-hmm. really got it. But um, he introduced me to Seesaw and to uh, Mac and Mabel. And I didn't know really that there was a Broadway version of Funny Girl for some reason. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. I well, guess you knew the was. movie, but you I didn't knew know. That, yeah. I knew mm-hmm. it had been on Broadway, but I didn't think that I would need to get the Broadway album. Sure. You know? So I didn't know that songs like The Music Can Make Me Dance existed. I was going to say, Cornet Man. Yeah. A lot of yeah. stuff on that movie. And... Uh, and I may have told you that our family knew Kay Medford, so right. it was like when I one time complimented her on her song that she sings in the movie, she said, I had so much more to sing in the show. It's like, oh, I guess I didn't know that. The best, <laughs> I mean, my favorite song, I did that show in high school. I played Eddie, and the song that oh. she would have sung, uh, the um, Who, Who Taught Her Everything. everything. Yeah. God, Do you know they recorded that song. song and they filmed it? Really? Because I ran into Lee Allen, was it, who played the role in the movie? Oh, okay. Maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Crow Singers. Sure. <laughs> Where like else? You do, do right? right? And he told me they filmed the number, and it was spectacular, and that uh, Kay, he thinks, thinks would have won the Oscar had they included oh in the film, and that audio exists on some website, Sure. Um, and that they cut it because it was detracting from people, yeah. which followed. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Side, wow. Okay. Sidebar there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I first... You know, I knew from Jeff Follies. He'd given me the Follies album. Um, I think I may have discovered Company. But this was the first time that I heard Stephen Sondheim's body of work mm-hmm. and knew that there were things, obviously, prior to um, Company and even Funny Thing Happened the Way to the Forum. And it was a, a challenging album. You know, mm. it, it, it's unlike Side by Side by Sondheim, which are like the hits. Right. And a couple little diamonds Oddities in the rough. Thrown yeah. In, yeah. This really was substantial in, in including work that was evolving. Mm. Work that, um, for me as a writer, said, well, okay, so 
this is where he eventually landed, and this is the process that it took to get there. Mm -hmm. So we would hear some songs like Pleasant Little Kingdom and mm -hmm. Happily Ever After that were discarded, and then we would hear the song that he finally arrived at. And it was kind of like, you know, looking at uh, photos of somebody who is going through a weight loss program or fit, physical <laughs> yeah, fitness sure. program, and you see the final photo in it, they look great. Mm -hmm. And the penultimate photo, they look pretty good. Mm -hmm. They're just not as great as they are in the right. final. So, you know, it's not like these are, are flawed pieces, but they're just not as strong. Yeah. Um, some of them were actually very tricky to, and not as always accessible. And I was thinking a little bit about that producer and Merrily Rolong. Side two. I mean, you can if you listen to it like as many times as I did. Sure. But well, uh, if you can sing it, you can hum it. That's I mean, right. that's the the sort of response to that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but those songs, interestingly enough, and I know it as a record. I don't mm -hmm. really know it as a CD. And I remember side two was the songs that were the least accessible. Mm. But for some reason, I still listen to them as much as I listen to the other sides. So there was something happening there, and his sound was so distinctive. You know, it was almost more Sondheim sound than it was when you listen to some songs like Losing My Mind, mm -hmm. where he's working with the pastiche yeah. element. Um, so for that reason, um, this whole album had an enormous impact on me. Yeah. I, I came to Sondheim in a similar way. My Mine was the concert at Carnegie Hall oh, yeah. in 92, which I watched on PBS when they aired it. And that was a similar experience with this huge body of work and, yeah. and having to go, well, I got to get every single one of these shows now. And, so you didn't and, know some of those shows? No, I knew I knew of, I mean, I was 12. Let's see, I knew of Into the Woods. And it was actually, I will say, the song that made me go out and buy, and I'd heard of Company, you know, I knew some of the the stuff, but I was just burgeoning into oh, my music theaterness. Yeah. I had just started doing community theater a lot, and people were giving me tapes of albums and, and things like that. But the song that really blew open music theater for me is uh, was Ballad of Booth from Assassins. Hunt me down, smear my name, say I did it for the fame. What I did was kill the man who killed my country. Now the Southland will mend, now this bloody war can end. Because someone slew the tyrant, just as Brutus slew the tyrant. He said, damn you, Lincoln, you righteous whore. Tell him, tell him what he did. You turned your spite into civil war. Tell him, tell him the truth. And more. Tell him, boy, tell him how it happened. How the end doesn't mean that it's over. How surrender is not the end. Because I couldn't believe that was a show. It was really one of those right. moments. I was like, "You can't ha that. That's a show." And then the song is obviously tremendous, and it's it's Patrick Cassidy and Victor Garber, so it's the people who originally did it, and it was remarkable, and it knocked me over, yeah. and that made me, I was like, "Okay, I got to get everything this guy ever wrote and devour it," and and I did. Wow. Um, I really what you say is really true. I was really impressed, really thinking about it. This I obviously knew this album. It's my wife's favorite Sondheim recording. This one. This one. Wow. Um, her parents taste. had the LP. Huh. Just like she calls yeah, it yeah. the Scrabble album. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what the cover looks like. And in her vert, she told me, him singing uh, "Anyone Can Whistle" for the finale is her favorite version of that song. She thinks because I mean. Stephen Sondheim does not have a gr uh, strong voice. and does He not sounds have, good on this he sound, album. Well, but what she said, and I, I commented, I said, well, it's written for Lee Remick, right. who doesn't have a tremendous range. So just like Send in the Clowns, it sits 
right there in that nice middle section. And then whatever key he's playing it in, he can also really Yes, it's his key. It. Yes, it's he his key. He knew how to transpose. He did. But if you've heard his demos of things that have come out later, you can hear him some, you know, playing yeah. things and reaching. And it's a demo, so he's right. not trying to sound great. But he sounds, he does. He sounds really, yeah. really good. Anyone can whistle. That's what they say. Easy. Anyone can whistle. Any old day. Easy. It's all so simple. Relax, let go, let fly. So someone tell me why can't I? I, I quite agree. It's, it is the finale of the evening and it, and it doesn't let anyone down. Yeah. It tops all those great icons that came before it yeah way. it really does and I think it's his favorite song that's what I remember reading I don't know maybe at that time it was his favorite song maybe since then he's written so many other great songs that he's allowed to change his favorite he's quoted as saying that a song he wrote later which was um someone in a tree, tree. that's is his right. favorite that, but that's a di I mean that's a big scene song I think you could probably still say that this may be his most personal yeah. expression yeah and, and I and you feel that when he's performing Absolutely. it, when he gets to the first, you know, maybe you can show me how to let go. That sort of, it's it, incredible. It's, it feels very humble and very open. Yeah. And I, you know, I teach uh, at the Neighborhood Playhouse song interpretation. And, mm. and I am always saying to actors that you don't realize how much you have to offer, even if you don't have the strongest voice. Mm -hmm. And he understands that maybe more than any other composer of note. In fact, today I think that writers are writing more for singers mm -hmm. because the songs are so rangy. Uh, but when you think about Sondheim, you know, he was writing shows like Follies where Alexis Smith was making her Broadway debut in a musical. Angela Lansing made her Broadway debut, debut yeah. in Anyone, Anyone Can, Can Whistle. Whistle. So he knew how to write for actors. Mm -hmm. He always has. Yeah. And, um, and he is, I guess maybe because his vocal limitations are such that he understood that better than anyone else. Well, I wonder if you find this to be true as a, as a composer, that he said, and I agree as a playwright, that it's easier to write a character once you know who's going to play it. And I remember him saying that on Inside the Actor's Studio and James Lipton sort of balking at that statement because people have this view of writers as we sit in a tower and craft a show, right. and then when we're done, we bring it down and hand it to you, and it is performed. And when you're doing like I say, theater in high school, theater in college, that's true, you're handed a finished script. But it gets there through workshops and, mm -hmm. and you know, when, when you cast an actor, especially in a singer, and you know their range, like I say, when, he, when Glynis Johns was cast in Night Music and she had to have a song in Act 2, he went, well, she, she's a good singer, but she's not a strong singer, so right. it's got to be this kind of song and this, and he could build the song backwards from her abilities, and then it's Send in the Clowns. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, when she made her Tony speech, yeah. I thought she said sand in the clouds. Well, that's her, her <laughs> so speaking I, voice I is thought, amazing. I thought, what an odd title for a song. <laughs> Maybe that's why it took me a little while to warm to it, because I kept thinking it was about sand in the clouds. Sand in the clouds. Well, it's, it's a precursor to sand, uh, castle in the clouds. Castle in the cloud. There you go. <laughs> made of sand. Sand, made of <laughs> sand castles in the clouds. There you go. It's a Brian Adams song, isn't it? Uh, so do you find that to be true, though, once you have an actor and you're, you're rewriting or you're working, that it's much easier to, to come up with material? Well, when I was writing No Way to Treat a Lady, I can tell you that I was writing Kit Gill, the killer, mm. for Jack Cassidy, mm. who was dead. 
at the time. <laughs> so I'm not the best person to ask, but I always felt that if Jack Cassidy had lived, mm -hmm. he would have been so brilliant in that role because he understood that narcissism mm -hmm. so well. Yeah. And, um, and later, when I was writing the gig, I thought, oh, God, Jerry Orbach would have been so great as the used car oh, salesman. But again, by that time, it was after the show had premiered and right. had productions, and he was gone. Yes. So I guess I think of people after they're gone. <laughs> but, but it is the same sort of general exercise. I mean, you're writing to a character to a performer you would yeah. like to see play. I mean, it. Jerry Herman said he wrote If He Walked Into My Life for Judy Garland. Yeah. You know? Now, mm -hmm. she was alive at the time. Right. But probably couldn't do eight performances a week, but right. he had her voice mm -hmm. and mine. And I do think that that's um, an element. Absolutely. That's why when you adapt a movie, sometimes if the movie is, is really well done, that character will haunt you and will cause you to um, really consider um, what that voice is. Hmm. So yes, when I was working Though We Treat a Lady or The Opposite of Sex and even the gig, those actors absolutely influenced what I wrote. Hmm. That's really interesting. We were, I was just talking with um, Ken Davenport about m oh, sure. movies turned into musicals and ones that we, we, the show he talked about was Goodbye Girl, which obviously oh, was not yeah. a success. And we, we talked about Big a little bit mm -hmm. and being a musical where it turns, or the movie, you know, an unsuccessful musical, but the movie is so successful because of Tom Hanks. Yes. I mean, that performance pretty much sells the movie and pastes over like any writing flaws or any you know other issues in the movie. And when you take Tom Hanks out of it, oh, he also brought up uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Catch Me If You Can. Oh, yeah. We go into that movie liking Leonardo DiCaprio and forgive the fact that Frank Agnew was a terrible person. But when you put it on stage and you don't have Leonardo DiCaprio in that role, suddenly you're starting from scratch and it doesn't matter how charismatic Aaron Tibbet right. is, that's a hard... That's a really hard sell for a writer. It's now you've true. worked on the films you've adapted have not been you haven't done anything of that that grandeur in terms of financial film success. There are no blockbuster films which we, we consider <laughs> that you know of. Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> Ken and I, but Ken and I speculated that was better <laughs> that the, if the smaller movies turned into musicals or foreign movies turned into musicals right. for an American audience, like Night Music, I mean, is a perfect example. Sure. Every time anybody likes to groan about movies turning into musicals, I say, Night Music was a movie. That's right. And a, really, and a really good movie. Martin Smiles Martin. of a Summer Night is a really, really good movie. So, you know, everybody calm right. down. Everybody's done it. Um, I actually was part of a pretty big project. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't think many people know this. Maybe 10 people. Um, so now more What's people What's about to be know. a lot more than that? <laughs> but um, originally, uh, Legally Blonde had a whole different team. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I should implicate the people who were on it, but they're wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. writers and creative artists. Um, but yeah, um, when um, Hal Luftig was, was the producer initially, he had a different team. Mm. And I was part of that team. I was there as a lyricist. Mm. And um, Giorgio Moroder was the composer. Really? Yes. yes. And my, I might as well tell you, I mean, it was... Um, I'm going to play his Daft Punk song real fast for everybody, because <laughs> I think my audience knows who that is, and they don't know that they know who that wow, is. Wow, yeah. yeah I mean, okay. My name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me Giorgio.
Academy Awards. Yeah. Lin- Linda Wolverton was the book writer, and Robert Jess Roth of, of Beauty and the Beast was the director. Oh, wow. So I wrote um, two lyrics that Giorgio, Giorgio sent me music, and then mm-hmm. I wrote two lyrics to those uh, tunes. And we, uh, we did um, recordings, mm. and um, Michael Gibson, the great Michael Gibson, yeah. the orchestrator, orchestrated them. Uh, T- Stephanie Kurtzuba, who has a nice role in the Wall Street film that Leonardo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall oh, Street. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, yeah. She sang them. And I actually am very proud of those songs, and Hal liked them a lot. But then there was another producer that came on board. Mm-hmm. I think that was 20th Century Fox or yeah. something like that. Fox Theatricals. And they said, listen, as long as we're bringing $6 million to the table, we want to start from right. scratch and introduce our own creative team. So that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, at the time I was disappointed, but I was also working on The Opposite of Sex, and I was really excited about that show. So I thought, okay, but, you know, now I'll be able to focus on that. Right. Um, Which but, is a small film, again. I mean, yeah, independent it was. film. It was independent I, a film, film. I, I saw in the theater when it came out. I, I love did too. Opposite of Sex. That's a really I, good movie. I, think the world of it mm-hmm. and uh it's if you ever do a a show entitled heartbreak please invite me yes on. <laughs> yes because there is a lot of heartbreak associated yeah. with that but but there's also some very good material and one little snippet of a tune ended up in the evolution of man oh so, okay yeah yeah well, that's good so unlike sondheim i do recycle <laughs> yeah he's famous for not re- for saying it's he doesn't really recycle curious. it's really fascinating because i think literally everyone else does <laughs> except yeah, him yeah, yeah. And there's a song on this album called um, Your Eyes Are Blue. Once upon a time it happened There lived a boy Who loved a girl Your eyes are blue And every single night He'd see her across the way I'd want to say, he'd want to say, your eyes are blue, and I love you. That sounds to me like it belongs in a little night music, and it mm-hmm. could have been a song between Anne and Henrik. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he would have to change very much. Not you know? at all. He yeah. could just said, okay, it's like Frank Lesser, the Take Back Your Mink. Right. You remember that story? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he doesn't. He, nope. he invents a new, which is really admirable, and I'm envious of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But that's what makes him Sondheim, and none of us is Sondheim, so that's I don't right. think we need to feel that's, bad. That's about true. This. It's like there's God, and then there's <laughs> he's, the rest He's of doing us. his thing, yeah. and then we can all learn from, from what he does. I'm really, uh, I love, the thing I love about this album, though, is as a, as a music theater junkie, is, like you say, the cut songs. Mm hmm. But they're not only cut songs, they're cut songs performed by the actors, the original cast of those shows. That's right. So I cannot imagine what it was like hearing um, two fairy tales and silly people performed on the set of Little Night Music. music. Yeah, right. probably a little bittersweet for George Lee Andrews doing his, that's song, his, only song. his only song that was cut. <laughs> Voices glide by and then pass. Let them float in their words till they slowly drown. Don't they know, don't they, what they want? Silly, silly people, patient and polite, trying in their teacups, shying from the night. Which is, is an interesting ju- uh, 
he said about it since, with years and years of perspective, obviously, that it was cut because Hal Prince said nobody cares what that, that character, character thinks. Yeah. And he was right. I mean, it was the sort of... He's the footman. He's the footman. <laughs> it's like your doorman. You know, right. And we don't care what he says. Uh, except in co-op, the music. Well, except <laughs> then we my care. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm, oh, God, I laughed so hard. I know. It's oh, brilliant. It's so amazing. Um, if you haven't seen... <laughs> The documentary now on original cast album co-op do yourself a favor i can't wait to buy it yeah the record the songs are good they're very good and very, very well good. orchestrated by yeah. like petri yeah. yeah i mean just oh my god i was so impressed with that i've been loving being a huge fan of that film and having for years tried to get people to watch original cast right, album company right. and being, i don't want to see it. now people are calling me Don't you say you had that i, right? had, I, I like, had the dvd you yeah. got to get on and my Par- paula my bell needs to be on broadway oh doesn't gosh, she she's so good she needs to be i've on loved broadway. her since mystery science theater she i'm now so great. googling her and looking at all of her youtubes i didn't know her at all it's, yeah she's, she's she's really she's very funny and she is yeah her she's a she's an old school music theater uh grand dame kind yeah. of performer yeah she's a lot of fun um but yes, so we, we do actually really care about Petra, the maids, and yes. we want to get to the Miller's uh, the Miller's son, which is a tremendous song. Uh, but, but doesn't it, the the silly people sound the sound of that song is kind of unlike anything he had written? It is at that time, and and I listen to it and I go, wow, this this is like the origins of Sweeney Todd. This this yeah. could like morph into Epiphany. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does have much more That's of a cynicism and melancholy. Yes. There's a sort of like an anger because yeah, yeah, there's a sort of like is. undercurrent in that, which the rest of the songs there's longing and there's mm-hmm. loss and there's love and there's not belonging and and there's a great running theme in the show of people being in the wrong place, <laughs> being in the wrong couple, being in the wrong area, and the the other thing I noticed about it this time is that silly people is the only song would have been the only song of the show had it survived. Where the character doesn't have any, like, doesn't go anywhere. It's just mm-hmm. a comment. Like, Miller's son, as Petra's song at the end of Act Two, is sort of her summation on her life. And she knows her, what her life is going to be, and she knows what her place in her life is. And she's having fun now, and she knows, you know, it, it, the lyrics go later, it will, it will be less fun. And there's a great, like, resolve, some melancholy, but, but just like, no, this is what my life is, and I'm, I'm good with yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. And every other character gets, you know, has a couple songs and gets to move through and has an arc to it. Um, but Silly People is just sort of like, gosh, aren't these people silly? Mm. And that's the whole, the whole song. And Madame Armfeld kind of remarks on that too, but she does it right. with a certain wryness, yeah. certain And it's reflection. Yeah, yes. like this is what it is. Like, you know, that is a great, like, have with these kids today. No one knows how to be a courtesan anymore right. kind of song. I love liaisons. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and that, and then also, Two Fairy Tales is a song that I get. I love Two Fairy Tales. I first heard it on um, the. Uh, oh, that's uh, the Craig. Um, oh gosh, Craig Lucas. Yes, Craig Lucas. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the um, the, what's it? Marry me a little. Not, is it marry yeah, me marry me a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a review of cut Sondheim material right. that played off Broadway, and I always liked that song a lot. But hearing it with the original cast members for Night Music. And hearing it live, I actually kind of more understand why it was cut. It's very hard to follow what's yeah. what's going on in that song. 
Once upon a time, upon a time there lived a princess there lived a knight, who was exceedingly beloved, who was devout, who had a kingdom in a kingdom which was perfect, which was wretched, which was carpeted with jewels, which was under someone's curse. She was beset on, on every side, side. It was beset with handsome princes, with giant trolls, and, nobles, and with dragons, bearing gifts and begging marriage. She would spurn them, he would pray, and they would kill themselves in duels. And it constantly got worse. Of course, the knight was much inspired. But the princess soon grew tired by the misery at hand. Of all the fire she had fed. And as time went on, he thought, she thought, I must wed someone. I must do something to alleviate the sorrow in the land. That's a song. I don't know where it was supposed to go. Or Kurt what will it, know that. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. what, where it was supposed to, when it was cut from night music, um, because it also accomplishes a lot of the same things that soon and later yes. do, and the connections between these two characters, who of course are eventually supposed to end up together. Right. Uh, and, and Victoria and Mark later eloped. In yeah, life, right. Exactly. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this, maybe this concert gave them the idea. Yeah. <laughs> to get up and get going. As such maybe as they it sang is. it at their wedding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> If they could find an accompanist who could play it. Exactly. So, I mean, there's so many performers on this recording. You can't believe they were all in the same, on the same And then you look at the performers who were invited who didn't come. Like I saw where Ethel Merman was supposed to be there and she was going to sing I'm Still Here. Yeah. Which, you know, can you imagine what that would have been like? That would have been pretty. That would have been, well, loud. Yeah. Uh, It would have been well because it's Ethel Shutter, right? In no, the, no, no. Who's Nancy in, Walker? Oh, it's Nancy Walker. Now, that's oh, Ethel Shutter does Broadway. Yeah, she does Broadway Baby. Right. And what's interesting is Nancy Walker could have done Broadway Baby, and mm-hmm. I could see like that's perfect casting. Um, I think it's very conspicuous that she does "I'm Still Here," and I actually, when I first heard "I'm Still Here" on the original cast album of Follies, I didn't love it. Mm. I, I was kind of mixed about it, and. I know that it's a truncated version, and that might be a reason. Yeah. But I also felt that it just didn't have as much life in it. And then you hear Nancy Walker do this song, and I realized what a brilliant song it was. First you're another, so low Then someone's mother, then your camp. Then you career, from career to career. Rhoda Morgenstern's mom, and she's 
she disappears as Rhoda Morgenstern's mom. Right. You know, she really inhabits the character. Her husband was David Craig, who was a great teacher, mm. and I'm sure that that was a, a major part of her process too. But she, um, she has so much humor in it, and there's a little bit of poignancy, and she's just electric. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can tell that the audience really like was thoroughly on her side. Yeah. So um, it's one of the few songs on the recording where you really hear the audience responding yes. outside of the applause at the beginning of the end. And they whoop and holler for some of the numbers. And oh, absolutely. Things. But they laugh and they follow. I mean, when she says, I got through Brenda Fraser, Fraser. which is a great line. And Even they, if you don't know who Brenda Fraser that. is, yeah, it's the great. way she says it, Fraser. <laughs> but from that moment on, they're kind of laughing. I mean, they laugh at the Hoover double. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. laugh. And this is a song, it's not an unknown song. Most of the people in the house, I think, would have known that song. Right. You Sondheim's work. And it's, it feels like, you're right, it feels very fresh and alive in that performance Absolutely. which is really, really curious that they didn't get Yvonne DiCarlo yeah because everyone else in Follies is there but she might have been you know safely in Constant Hollywood and right doing what doing she was doing the Munsters reunion I don't know something. <laughs> but she was a movie star and you know yes. they didn't just I mean Alexis Smith that was probably she was kind of at this point thinking of herself more as an East Coaster maybe in yeah. some ways and doing but she both. was really enjoying the whole theater experience right well and she has I mean one of my my favorite Sondheim songs yeah. of all time, which is the real, it's not the real, I, it's a weird thing to say because of how Follies ends, but it's kind of the finale of Follies in reality, because obviously it ends with that long Loveland yes. dream sequence, yes. but her sort of climactic statement on Could I Leave You, which is, and I like this version of her singing Could I Leave better You than better the than the studio version. I do too. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do. Could I live through the pain on a terrace in Spain, would it pass? It would pass. Could I bury my rage with a boy half your age in the grass? <laughs> I'll met your ass. But I've done that already. Oh, didn't you know, love? Tell me, how could I leave when I left long ago? Love, could I leave you? No, the point is, could you leave me? Well, I guess you could leave me the house, leave me the flat, leave me the brocks and chagals and all that. You could leave me the stocks for sentiment's sake and 90% of the money you make and the rocks and the cooks. Darling, you keep the drugs, Angel, you keep the books. Honey, I'll take the ground sugar, you keep the spinach and all of our friends and just wait a goddamn minute. It is funny to think that, like, as you said, this is the first... Sondheim tribute of many, 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 many to follow. Right. And it is relatively very early in his career. And the work he was going to do, I mean, he'd done some tremendous work and, you know, it won his, or was about to win his, his three Tonys in a row and, and, and all that. But he, he still had some of his best work in front of Absolutely. him at this point. And it is fascinating to think that, you know, you can keep doing these tributes because the you can enter, there's so much material you can switch and move and yeah, interchange. Yeah. And, and that doesn't include like putting it together or, or side by side by Sondheim, which are review shows. Right. I mean, there's so many, if you go to the Sondheimguide.com and, and look at the tribute slash concert shows, the list is 40 things wow. there that people have done oh my God. in time. And, you know, the most recent being, was it Sondheim on Sondheim? Yes. Was on Broadway right. a couple years ago? Barbara yeah. Cush, the last right. time she Exactly was right. Yeah. And with his narration was involved in that. And, and, and the film. And, the, the, right. 
you just got to see his apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you license it to get back, to yeah. see the apartment. <laughs> It'd be worth it just to do the show so right. you get so you to, to live in that, that apartment. apartment. That's a great oh, apartment. It sure That's, is. Well, it's a house, actually, yeah. but yeah. yes, it's yeah. great. We live in apartments. We, we live, live in a house. <laughs> well, I live in a house, but I don't live in New York. Okay. So that's the, right. that, that is a distinction. The, uh, the other thing that's great about this, sorry. I didn't no, know, no, go ahead. was just that, um, you know, as, as he moved forward in his career, a lot of his work as a lyricist uh, not as a composer, mm -hmm. uh, tends to get buried. Yeah. And I really love some of the songs he wrote, mm -hmm. uh, not only for, of course, Gypsy and West Side Story, but I love the songs he wrote for Do I Hear a Waltz. Hmm. And I think on this album, one of my favorite cuts, I don't know if we could call it a you cut call it at a cut. the time, yeah. but now it's a cut, a track, um, was We're Gonna Be All Right. Who's on the skids? She'll go to night school. If it's the right school, he'll permit her. They love the kids. They love their friends, too. Lately, he tends to hit her. Sometimes she drinks in bed. Sometimes he's homosexual. But, but why be vicious? They keep it out of sight. But sure, they're gonna be all right. With which, the original lyrics. With the original lyrics, right. <laughs> which are, you know, kind of... the only of way it's performed risque, now. Risque, yeah, yeah. Very risque. And uh, it's almost like, when I look at this song, I think, okay, so Larry Hart died in, what, 1942? Yeah. So this is the Rodgers and Hart song that Larry didn't write, but mm -hmm. Sondheim did. Yeah. And uh, I think that it's like, you know, listening to this rendition is like listening to Bewitched Father and Bewildered when mm. it wasn't in its edited version. Right. There's something very titillating about it. It's um, incredibly well sung. I mean, we were in the car and um, my wife was listening to the CD and I said, uh, and she said, who is that, that male singer? I said, Lawrence, Lawrence Guitard. Yeah. My God, that's a great voice. Yeah. And it is, it's one of the great, it's like I can say Bruce Yarnell, Lawrence Guitard, Martin Vindivik. Those mm. are that kind of, and Gordon McRae. Mm -hmm. The great, Baritones, yeah. you know, that you just don't hear anymore. And he was, I guess, the replacement on Mabel Mancha. I saw him mm -hmm. at the Cape Cod Melody Tent in Mabel Mancha in the round, which is there where I saw go. most of my most musicals. Of your shows. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to hear him, to hear Terry Ralston, it's a great tune. Oh, gosh, And it's yeah. a great lyric. And I know Sondheim kind of puts down, you know, do I hear waltz? It wasn't a happy experience for him. But let's just say that the quality of that writing is really high. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, in some ways, I think that it's even more successful in terms of the collaboration than even some of West Side Story, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, he's really totally matured as a lyricist. And even though Richard Rodgers may have written better scores, it, it stands up there. And mm -hmm. it's not a wholly successful book. Yeah. But, um, you know, compare it to Light in the Piazza, also dealing with yeah. Italy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, you know, they're very different works, but right. I think they sort of can share a similar universe. So what did you, as a, how long have you been writing music? I wrote a, a musical in college that I did book music and lyrics for. That was my thesis. And so that was, um, that was in the, latter part of the 70s mm -hmm. so uh, since then i came to new york in the early 80s and um oh, wow when it was really new york yeah, yeah. <laughs> i had a little show um that i wrote music for um 
off-Broadway at the um, Jane Street in the village mm-hmm. called This Week in the Suburbs. And um, that's the show that William Goldman knew a cast member and came to see it at the same time I was reading Adventures in the Screen Trade. So mm-hmm. that's how we first met. And then two, three years later, I saw the movie No Way to Treat a Lady yeah. and realized he had written the novel. And then we reconnected. Um, so I guess, yeah, it started. And I wrote a couple, three shows for Theatre Works USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's been a process since I guess my debut was in '83. Mm-hmm. You know, with this this week in the suburbs. So there's been about 20 musicals, something like that. Wow. A lot of people don't know a lot of them, but they got produced. Right. They really did. I mean, I had a show called God's Hands, which was produced at Theater Works in Palo Alto, which is a very fine, prestigious theater. That's where you know Vanities was done. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Andrew Lippa shows are done there. Um, but, you know, not everything gets the kind of attention as some other shows. It, it's always just, it's a catalog, and you just hope that some of these shows, like one show that I'm working on with Doug Carter Bean called The Big Time, um, which we did in the Nymph Festival, uh, seems like, uh, I don't want to give it away, but th- there's some stuff going on with it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice how these shows don't necessarily disappear. Right. They keep coming around Yeah, again. it's like Rip Van Winkle. They just take little... Siestas. Yeah, there you go. That works. So what did you, as a young composer, when you heard this, or budding composer, I guess, when you heard this album, take from it into your, like, into your music theater education? I think it forced me to um, realize that the art form was growing up, Mm -hmm. um, that the music that I had listened to, um, which were primarily my folks' albums, because they saw everything in Philadelphia before it came into New York. Oh, nice. Yeah, so the My Fair Ladies and the Gypsies and all those things were always going to be part of my DNA. But then there was this other sound that was oddly compelling. And uh, it was very dramatic. And it, um, it was a little angular, challenging, uh, very wordy at times. You know, there's a density to it. But the storytelling was what really held for mm. me. And again, being able to see that there's this process. You know, we didn't have albums at the time that said, okay, this was cut from Gypsy or this was, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so to, to recognize that process, uh, years later, Richard Maltby came to see No Way to Treat a Lady at the Hudson Guild, and he had heard it at the O'Neill, and he said, You have a rare gift. And I thought, oh, great. Yes, <laughs> he yeah, said, yeah. and that is, you can drown your babies. Mm. And uh, I hadn't heard that expression yeah, before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> yes. As a father now, right. it's I know. sort it's, of a it's strange a hard, thing to hear. It's but, a tough, yeah. But I understand what he means. It, it means that sometimes you have to make those tough decisions. You mm-hmm. have to say, you know, much as I'm fond of this song, it's not working. Yeah. And I think that came through with this album. Mm. You know, that Sondheim obviously made that decision with Hal Prince, with other people as well. Maybe the audience told him something. Right. But he was so, uh, he, he the, the storytelling was paramount. The show was paramount. So that anything to support the art form was what was necessary. Mm-hmm. And out of that came some of his richest material. Yeah. So that was something that even on some conscious level, I think I was gaining from this album. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is from the very beginning of his career. I mean, his first, you know, comedy tonight was the result of yes. its draft five of the opening number of, of uh, 
a forum, which has, if you listen to the other openers, some very serviceable opening numbers, right. like Love is in the Air, which I believe is I the like last recording. Yeah, yeah Love is in the Air is yeah. a fun song. Um, my favorite version of that song is actually uh, Robin Williams and Christine Baranski in the Birdcage. Oh, really? Oh, I forgot about that. That's fun, doing their little dance. That's a fun, fun version of that song. Um, But, I mean, it's the great George Abbott. He's like, no, it needs to be comedy tonight well, and he went home and was wrote it George him. Abbott or was it also Jerome Robbins that when they brought it to him in Washington or something oh maybe it was Jerome yeah, Robbins he, that's what it was yes, he I'm said sorry, it's not preparing Robbins. people for the low comedy that's yeah. to follow yeah and uh, then it's comedy tonight which is one of his most famous it yeah. yeah and it is, is just and so I think he had the advantage early on in addition to I'm sure uh, Oscar Hammerstein telling him over and over again you have to like this is how it is right um, that yes you have to just go back and, and write something else, which is another complaint he, I mean, as you say, that uh, Sheldon Harnick said about Richard Rogers later in his career that he didn't want to go back to the well yeah. too many times, which, I, I mean, as somebody who's, I've, I've written music, but not a lot of it, and I, cannot, I, I can imagine there's a certain, especially if you don't have training like Rogers didn't, there's a certain magic to writing music, though. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you're pulling things kind of out of the air, and if you don't have training to back that up or an ability to, you can go... I don't know how many more of these are going to come to me. Right. It's coming hard. It's harder than it used to be, and I don't. All want the to training have to... in the world, though, doesn't guarantee that you're going to come up with a. Oh great sure, tune. no, fact, gosh, the, no. The, the untrained musicians sometimes are the, all the more astonishing, like Irving Berlin. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just you have to reinvent yourself, and that's the hard thing. And that's what's so amazing about Sondheim is that just about every score he's ever written feels like that's another sound, that's another color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, and there are certain people, I think, writing today who, who are doing that. And, um, but it, it's really tough. And, um, you know, Rogers wrote these melodies that were just so enduring. You know, they, yeah. you, just, you just listen to, like, the sound of music today. And I saw the production recently at LaGuardia, and I was just in awe of his inventiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that wasn't even, like... South Pacific or Oklahoma right. or yeah. Carousel. Right. Um, so you're allowed, if you're Richard Rogers, to go back to that well because that well has served you. It's a good well. well. Yes. Yeah, very good well. <laughs> a lot of people wish they had that well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite song on this album? Oh, that's a good, good question. I sort of. I guess the two that come to mind uh, is the Anyone Can Whistle mm-hmm. of Sondheim performing at. And also I'm Still Here. Yeah. Nancy Walker. Mm-hmm. I just feel like those are very unique. And you can hear like how great Ethel Shuda was in yeah. Broadway Baby that this is like the definitive performance even mm-hmm. better than the album. Yes. The original cast album. But we have the original cast album. Right. These are revelations. Yeah. And I would say as my third we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I just remember listening to that over and over again. And again, just this, I hadn't heard the album in maybe 10 years, listening in the car, and it's just, that song is yeah. pretty damn well, great. Well, Lawrence Guitard, as you say. Is, yeah, is and Terry so, Ralston, Terry great Ralston. too. Yeah, from the original cast of Company. Absolutely. And you don't hear that, those sounds anymore. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing, is that when you hear a great Broadway singer, um, I've had more respect for Ethel Merman in the last mm-hmm. decade. Yeah. I couldn't understand why she was a huge Broadway star. And now I get it. You know, there was that thrill to hear that voice, that ping, that she didn't need amplification. No, she did know? not. 
And and yet sometimes it was a hindrance. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that people tend to think of her in her later years, you know, and that's right. And listen, in her later years, she was an older woman still, still doing with something it. to yeah. offer. And no one had more hits than Ethel Merman. Right. I think there's only one show that she was in that didn't make money. Right. So, you know, that's why Jerry Herman pursued her for Hello, Dolly. Right. Because he knew that, God, hey, that would have run. Been. But he did get her, ultimately. Right. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. That, that turned very, out okay. That turned out fine. <laughs> everything, everything worked out. But we still won't no. hear her sing, I'm still here. That's no, no, gosh. Yeah, that really would have been... I think I'm, I'm happier it's yeah, the version that's on the album. I am too. But I would love to hear her sing that song. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a few people. Yeah, if you lit uh, Craig Zayden's book on uh, Sondheim, Sondheim and Co., which is it's like great book. the best Sondheim book, even though it stops in 1991, is still worth getting if Absolutely. you can find it. His chapter on this is, is has lists all the people who weren't in the exactly. show. And it's really, it's a, I mean, the cast, as it turned out, was awesome. And yeah. so you can see the people that all could have been there. It's just. It would have been wonderful to have Lee Remick there. Um, you know, because she and Sondheim were so yeah. close. And yeah. she tried to get out of this movie. Right, and she couldn't get out of but it. But then if she had been there, she probably would have sung Anyone Can Whistle, maybe. So then we wouldn't maybe. have Sondheim singing it. Do you think she would have sung There Won't Be Trumpets? But wasn't that cut? It was, but, but there's a lot yeah, of cut that's stuff. True. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course she would have. Of course she would have. You're yeah, right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You got Angela Lansbury singing two Anyone that's Can Whistle right. songs in yeah. this show, uh, which she hadn't performed in 10 plus years since the show closed, probably. Uh, yeah, it's a great album. It's easily findable if you if you've never heard it. Check it out. Um, also, check out uh, Lawrence Gutierrez if you're interested in obviously the original cast album of Night Music singing in praise of women. Oh my God, I forgot. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Singing, him singing in praise of women is just like if you yeah. want to talk about a baritone. But also, he played uh, Benjamin Stone in the Paper Mill revival yes, of Follies, and it's fascinating to think that's the same performer because his I mean his voice is tremendous. But he's holding it back yeah. and controlling it in such an interesting way on that recording where you, I didn't realize it was the same performer until I read the huh. booklet and went, oh my gosh, that's, I know that name. It's a very yeah. unique name. So it stuck out to me as him, as, he's on as Count Magnus. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, I had a oh, friend. Check him out. Oh, <laughs> check him out. Yeah. yeah. He's really great. Thank you so much, Doug. Oh, it's this been was a pleasure. tremendous. And I thank you. It. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to our episode on No, uh, no Way to Treat a Lady which is how you got in touch with me. That's right. And then you can also go back a fewer weeks and listen to Doug and Dan Ellish talk about their musical, The Evolution of Man, in an intermission. And now here you are in a full episode. <laughs> you did it backwards, but yeah. we, lo- we love having you. Thank you so much, Thank Doug. Thank you, Patrick. Anyone can whistle. That's what they say. Easy. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Douglas J. Cohen for coming down and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Maybe you could show me how to let go, lower my guard. Learn to be free Maybe if you whistle Whistle